Welcome back to the Beauty Inspires Beauty Podcast. This is your girl, Jess Bergio, and oh my God, we made it to episode one freaking hundred, 100th episode. And I couldn't be more excited to bring you this conversation today with one of my biggest mentors over the last couple of years, Chris Harder. Chris Harder is one of those people who just shows you what's freaking possible. Chris's tagline, he's always believed that when good people make good money, they can do great things. And he is nothing short of great, a great epic human. He's helped pour so much value into my life, my business. Um, you know, years ago, he started out studying uh, stories and habits of other successful entrepreneurs and millionaires, getting to know some of them personally. And through trial and error and a ton of applying their lessons, he was able to eventually rewrite his financial story from one of near failure to one of abundance. Um, and today he has ownership in over seven multi-million dollar businesses with his wife, Lori Harder, another good, good mentor, friend of mine. And they have the resources now to finally be able to share that success with the world. And most importantly, they're able to give back at a level that makes a meaningful difference, which is another component that I love and that we touch on in this episode, how you can start to give back and put, you know, philanthropy in your business, even if you think you don't have enough to share. It could be through time. It could be through so many other resources. So you guys... Be somewhere where you can take notes and fully listen to this episode because it's going to shift your perspective. It's going to give you some yummy aha takeaways, and it's really just going to pour back into you the belief that you might be looking for, the perspective shift that you need in order to start showing up as the biggest, best version of yourself, which is why I created this podcast, is for you to learn how to authentically be you, but to also step out of the box that we've put ourselves in and start showing up as that highest version of yourself unapologetically. So tune in, listen to this episode and tell me what you think, because I had such a great time recording it. Welcome back guys. I'm extremely honored, humbled, and excited to bring you the 100th episode with my mentor, Chris Harder. Welcome to the show, Chris. Jess, thanks for having me on, especially for your 100th episode. This is a big deal. Like I don't think most people realize the majority of podcasts, when I say majority, I mean over 90% of people that start podcasts don't make it past the fifth episode. So for you to have made it to a hundred, and obviously you're going to make it way past that, uh, that's a really big accomplishment that takes a lot of consistency. Thank you. And that's one of the things that, you know, I've learned watching you and Lori grow and scale both your podcasts and your businesses is that if you are not consistent, you have nothing, you know, even if you consistently pivot and show up in a different way, like being consistent is the number one baseline for building any sort of foundation and success and momentum and business. So yes, I, I, when I was thinking of celebrating this episode, I was like, wait a second, Chris was technically my first episode, right? You were the second one produced because the first one was the intro. And I saw you a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, you know what, this would be such an honor and such a great way to celebrate both. Yes. Me getting to hundred and then also like paying it back towards who helped me get here because your inspiration, your mentorship, and just the way that you guide and teach all of us. And of course, creating fast foundations for us, as Chris called it, accidental entrepreneurs. That was the tagline that spoke to my heart and I was like, Ugh, that's me and so many people in my industry. So again, thank you. And um, 
in honor of you and in honor of this podcast, I went through our network that we share of all the amazing people um, that I value their opinion. And I asked them to contribute some questions for today. So you're going to see some of those pop up and um, you know, because everybody knows you in a different version, right? We could all be listening to the same talk and we all get something different. And every time you speak, I get something new and different, even if you're kind of talking about something similar. Um, so that'll be kind of fun, but in true, That's Chris Harder, cool. That's a cool yeah. idea, by the way, Thank you. Um, in true Chris Harder fashion, I want to take it back old school, how you used to do your podcast and do some rapid fire questions because you may be slightly new to my audience, even though if they do listen to this podcast, they hear me talk about you and say your name quite a bit. So you guys, if you're listening, this is the Chris Harder I always talk about. This is the master behind starting fast foundations, the mastermind that shifted, changed everything for me in business. Um, so Chris used to start out his episodes with a rapid fire for any guests that he had on. And it was just a quick way for you guys to get to know the guest. And um, if something good pops up, he liked to circle back. So I'm doing, I'm doing you a solid and I want to start with a few questions just so we can get to know you better. I love it. It's kind of exciting to be on this side of the rapid fire. Go for it. Right. Okay. So what do you call yourself these days? Entrepreneur and investor and philanthropist. And it's really been that answer for quite some time. Um, if you wanted me to drill down more than that, I'd say, um, serial entrepreneur, cause I have my hands in so many damn things. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And who are you in one sentence? Great question. I'm your average Midwest person that had massive, massive dreams. Didn't feel like his dreams necessarily fit the area that he was born and decided to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And collected incredible people along the way to, to help make those dreams happen. Love that. I love that question around who, like who you are and what you do. Cause we used to, we got taught that you get confused the two, who you are is not always what you do. So I love that. Okay. Name one pivotal or defining moment in your life that changed everything. We can go deeper into this later when it's not rapid fire if you want, but when Lori and I lost everything in 2009 ish, and had to start from below zero, it felt like garbage going through it. But looking back on it, best time of our lives because we got to choose again. And, and that's how we ended up where we are today. Mm, I know that's such a good story. And that's why like getting clear on how I wanted to go with this podcast. I'm like, this man has lived 72 lives, even since I've known him in the last oh. 10 years, where do I start? <laughs> okay. Um, this is a good question for our listeners. How can listeners get the most out of self-education? Meaning if they listen to podcasts, if they take courses online, like your money principles course, how can they get the most out of doing things self-paced or you get what I'm asking? Yeah. So start with the free stuff. This is, I love this question because we live in a day and age, day and age where there's hardly any barrier of entry to learning what it takes to get to the first few hundred thousand dollars in your business or in your income. You can Google everything you need. Of course, some courses do a better job of putting it together in a nice, succinct way. But the information's out there if you're willing to Google and dig for it for free. Books are next to free. Um, podcasts like this one are free. There has never been so much free information for you to figure out exactly what you need to do step-by-step step to get to that first few hundred thousand dollars. And I think the best way to do it is, is knowing, number one, that when you choose to pay for something like a course or a program, you're paying for somebody to organize those things in a fast track. So if you feel like, gosh, I can't pay for that mastermind, I can't pay for that course like other people are, it doesn't mean that you're dead in the water. It just means that you're going to have to go out there and assemble this information yourself, but it is free and available. The second thing I would say 
is you got to make time for it. Like what you don't plan won't happen. So the way that Lori and I have our protected time in the morning in order to listen to podcasts or books every single morning before we do anything else, you need to figure out when in your day are you going to have this, this container that nobody can penetrate so that you can fill that container with, you know, building your personal knowledge on what you need to learn in order to get to where you want to go. Yeah. I love that. I think that's one of the key things too, is making the time to do something with what you're learning. It's one thing to ingest and ingest. And I was in a season of that, but it's a whole other thing to start to implement those things. And that's why after the free of ingesting, it's often really, you know, in your best interest to pay for someone to, whether it's accountability or structure or informing you on what the next step and what you learned is to do. Um, so yeah, love that answer. It's, let me, let me, let me expand on what you just said a little bit. This this encompasses everybody. I hope people realize this. If you can pay for help, it just means your, your, your path is probably going to be faster than everybody else's. But if you can't pay for help, it doesn't mean you can't build a great life. It doesn't mean you can't build a great business. It doesn't mean you can't get your way to that first, you know, hundred grand, 200 grand, 300 grand, whatever it is that you want to do. Everybody has a chance to accumulate the knowledge they need and succeed. And so I'm glad that you're touching on this because I feel like people make the excuse that they can't pay for this or they can't pay for that. And it doesn't mean that they can't end up in the same place as other people. It just may take you a little bit more digging and a little bit longer. True facts. Okay. Next question. We got two more. What has starting a podcast done for your business? It built a massive audience. And if you can build a massive audience, you can do whatever you want in this world. You can create a product from scratch. You can pivot you can raise money for charities. You can raise money for a business. The number one thing people should be focused on is how many ears and eyeballs can they serve on a regular basis? Because the larger that number is, the easier it'll be for you to do any business that you want, period, hands down, full stop. Love that. And I know so many people, when I talk about community or talking to your community, they're like, well, I don't have a community. This is the quickest way to grow a community. When you start sharing things that you love or that, you know, or that you heard from somebody else, you know, all the things that I share on this podcast are things I've learned either through Chris or people that he's put me in touch with, or a podcast that I've listened to. Generally what I talk about is nothing. I didn't invent the wheel. Okay. I also, you know, didn't invent haircutting, but I teach that too. Right. So, okay. That's next and last question. Why is being generous and philanthropic such a big deal and an important piece of your life? Great question. It's always just been in me. And I got to credit my parents for that. I remember growing up uh, when we'd go to church, my parents would put more than the average family in the offering plate, even though we were probably regular middle class. And um, then they would explain to us boys, my brother and I, here's why we, we put that much in the offering plate. They would actually make us put the money in the offering plate. Then we'd go up to brunch afterwards or we'd be out to dinner somewhere and they would tip more than the average person tips. And they would explain, you know, here's why we tip more because this person has left their family and they're waiting on us and they could be home and they probably need the money and um, doing things like that, along with many other things, it instilled in me, it stuck with me. It struck a chord with me for some reason that that was a very important part of life. And it felt good. I think people don't realize how good it feels to give, whether you're giving time or knowledge or money or whatever it might be. It's a dopamine hit. And that dopamine hit has been placed in us for a reason so that we do it more because when everybody gives enough, then there's enough to go around for everybody. It's the same reason why, why procreating feels good or we wouldn't do it, right? It's in us feels good naturally for a reason. And that is because we're supposed to be giving. 
That's so good. And I, I, I'm sure so many people listening hear that and think like, what do I have to give? Or I don't have enough to give, but we always have it. And if you have nothing other than time to give, like your time helping somebody else is literally priceless. Anytime I get five minutes with you and we share a quick conversation or you are sharing something that you learned with me, I feel like that's so much more valuable than if you were to hand me $500 or, you know, give me a something, you know? So I think when we shift perspective on that, it really can change everything. And that's one of the things that I um, truly admire about you. It is just so in you and through building a business, I've tried to let that be the foundation also from where I'm building, what the legacy of what I'm trying to create is, is going to be a part of, because it's got to be bigger than just us, right? Yeah, it, it definitely is. And I actually want to try and expand upon what you had just said. Uh, you had said, hey, a lot of times people feel like they don't have anything to give. And that's a very real feeling. And I want to be wildly sensitive to everybody's financial spot that they are in right now. And I want to remind people that don't know my story. Lori and I had to start from way below zero financially in, in you know 12 years, 13 years ago, whatever that was. But the truth is you always do have something to give. And when you actually give, when you feel like you don't, that's what starts to turn everything around for you. Now, here's what I mean. Uh, Tony Robbins is famous for saying, if you don't give a dollar when you, uh, you know, out of 10,000, you're never going to give um, 10,000 out of a when, once you make a million, right? You, giving isn't something you do later after you have a lot. And it's true. You've got to build that muscle early. And when you give, let's say, say you have 50 grand in student loans right now. And, and let's say every month it costs you $3,500 a month to live. And you're, you're only making 3000, you're going backwards every single month, right? In, intuitively, you're going to say, well, I have nothing to give. I don't even have enough for me right now. But if you would give a dollar to somebody, or if you would go donate $5 to a friend's cause, that $5, that dollar, it's not going to make or break you, but it is going to signal to you that you do have extra in this very, very moment. Maybe not at the end of the month, but in this very, very moment, you have abundance. And when you feel, even for a moment that you have abundance, then that attracts more abundance. And when I say it attracts more abundance, there's two types of people out there, right? There's the woo-woo people and there's the logical people. And I can explain this to both types of, of individuals. If you're on team woo-woo, when I say it attracts abundance, you know exactly what I mean, right? Um, you, you put out in the world what you want to receive more of. You tune into the frequency of what you want to get back. But for the logical people out here that think, ah, that's bullshit. The truth is this. When you give even just a dollar or five dollars, when you feel like you don't have anything to give, that gives you that little dopamine hit. And that little dopamine hit signals even for a moment that, wait a minute, I guess I had a little bit more abundance than I was giving myself credit for in this moment. And if I have abundance in this moment, then I've got a little bit more swag or a little bit more pep in my step. And I'm going to show up a little bit differently for at least the next hour, the next couple of hours. I'm going to react to things differently for the day because of what I just did. And when you leave your, your, your house, when you go to work, when you deal with a, a client or anybody with that little bit of extra swag, with a little bit of extra good feeling, they notice it on you. And people are attracted to doing business or collaborating with or buying from people that make them feel good. They are unattracted as a customer, as a business partner, uh, as a you know, client. They're unattracted to people that don't make them feel good. So this is a quick way for you to make yourself feel good, have that little bit of extra swagger for a moment, and then make those around you want to do business with you, which brings you more abundance. I mean we could just end the podcast right there. Um, yeah, that's so well said. And I think just perspective shifts are everything. And there's something that I always try to, you know, share and talk about because it really all is about a perspective shift. And you're right. Like I, 
so many little ideas popped up when you were sharing that and saying all of that, that of ways I could be giving back even more, um, that would fill up my cup just as much as it would to the people I was giving it to. You know, I got the opportunity to come spend a couple of days at the last fast foundations in person meetup. And I don't know if everyone in the room knew that I didn't get paid to be there, but I did that on my own free will. That was me, you know, looking for my own invitation. So I invited my damn self and then also made myself as useful as possible by, you know, giving as much as I could, because that was what was done for me. And there was a time when that wasn't ever done for me, that people didn't give that shit up freely. And, um, I struggled. And so there was a twofold there where I wanted to give back something I never got. And then I wanted to give back something that I did get. And you're right. It did feel amazing to give that time though. I didn't pay or I didn't contribute financially any which way to the greater cause. I referred someone to the group and I also was able to give back in a way that um, felt really freaking good too. And that's going to pay long-term dividends. You don't know what Jim and RT, the people that run Fast Foundations that you're referring to, you don't know what they're going to give back to you in the future because you sent a client to them. You don't know a conversation that you had with somebody in that room, how that's going to pay you back tenfold, you know, in the next year or two years, five years, 10 years down the road when their business is booming and all of a sudden they need you, uh, you know, right? They want to do business with you or partner with you. The more seeds that you can plant, of generosity, the larger your crop will be way down the road. So right now, when you feel like you don't have anything, you don't have time, you don't have energy, you don't have money. I fully understand that, but I want you to dig deep, find the tiniest of seeds to start planting because every time you plant a seed with somebody, a lot of that, not every seed blooms, but a lot of those seeds are going to turn into the crop that you, you benefit from down the road. Oh, Jess, I think you're muted possibly. Thank you. I think the number one thing that I've learned from you, that's probably, yeah, I would say the top, the top thing that I've learned is that your network or your net is your net worth. And Mm -hmm. I didn't really, I don't think I really knew what that meant when um, I joined years ago with you in the mastermind, I, I got the concept, but I'd been in my bubble with my head down working for 17, 18 years, building my business inside of someone else's business. And I didn't ever create time to grow a network, you know, and I didn't know what, what good that would bring me in the future. But just as you shared, you know, you create room to have these conversations around. You'll never, you're never going to know what could come of that conversation you had two weeks ago, two months ago, two years ago. Um, and so I do have to credit my mom for being that awkward lady in the elevator. Every time she would see somebody, she would talk to them and it used to embarrass me so bad. But then when I got my license and I had to go out and get my own clients, I was like, Oh, no wonder my mom talked to people. She was in real estate. That's how she would get clients. She would dress up. She would look the part. She would go to Nordstrom's. She would shop around. She would make eye contact. She would talk to people and that she grew like a network that way. And my mom's uber successful when it came to business that way. So I mirrored that in going out, getting clients. And that's why I was able to get to six figures in six months in the hair industry back in 2001. (laughs) So, you know, it's wild, but I, I just think people don't, value enough the time to build the network in order to have it build up their net worth. They don't see a a immediate return on investment all the time. So I think it's sometimes hard to understand what that really even means. Yeah. It's almost back to those seeds, right? Got to plant seeds in terms of relationships as well, or you're not going to have that crop to, to, to eat from, to benefit from down the road. Right. I understand it can feel really tough when you barely take care of yourself and your family right now, but you have to make intentional room for building your network because how is called relationship capital, right? Your relationship capital is far more valuable than even capital capital, you know, good old fashioned money. And I can prove that. For example, when you're broke, 
and you're trying to start a business, it's your relationship capital that is going to go out and find you investors or make that loan for you or give you knowledge or maybe do some work for you that for free that you would have had to pay for. Relationship capital is far more valuable and will always be there for you if you cultivate it and if you take care of it far more than, than money. Money comes and goes and, and money's easier to get than you think. But the real valuable capital, that's relationship capital. And honestly, you saying that to me three years ago, like money's easier to get than you think. I would have scoffed at that. I would have been like this fucking guy. Like I would have laughed at you like, oh, he doesn't know he's, you know, he must have had it so easy because money isn't money's hard to come by money is this money. I had so many stories. I had no idea. And so the fact that I was so drawn a to your energy, but also B, I leaned into what made me feel uncomfortable and what I recognize I had an issue with and to be able to shift my perspective. Cause I come from, my mom was a I remember asking her, she was so successful. And I'd say, how come you want to stay in this small town? And she said, I would prefer to be the big fish in the small pond than to go out and try to be, you know, the little fish in the big pond. And I remember thinking, fuck that shit. Like, I don't like that. That's, (laughs) that's when I knew, like, I'm going to take what she's done to be successful and, and grow a business from nothing. But also like, that's not for me. That's not the life for me. I'm, I'm fine being, you know, new. It's hard to be new. It's hard to, to try new things and to fail and to, you know, lose out on money or to invest in something that you don't, you don't get see an immediate ROI. Cause I'm not a millennial, but I definitely, you, you don't want to drop 10 grand on something if you don't know what you're going to get out of it. Right. That's, mm-hmm. that's tough. Um, but let's circle back. Cause I've heard a ton of stories that you shared on other people's podcasts. I mean, we, like I said, we can rabbit hole all day, like during lives events inside your mastermind, all the things also, you know, ones that Lori's have shared about you. So I feel like I have so much insight, but you've been consistently great at giving your community like an inside look to your day-to-day life through social media. You share anything like nothing. There's nothing on the table that you won't talk about. Um, but I'd love for you just to give the beauty industry fam, like some insight of like how you got here, like today here, because I've been fortunate enough to watch you for the last like 10 years. I think it's been almost that long and I've seen the come up you've had, and it's literally nothing short of amazing. Um, but like you, t- you mentioned earlier, you guys haven't really maybe heard this backstory unless you follow Chris, which I highly suggest you do. Um, you know, he shares a lot about what happened in, th- in the recession time and how they lost everything and more than lost everything. They were in a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. And like, how do you go from that to what we see today? I know that's probably, you know, eight podcast episodes worth, but I know you and I know you can sum it up for us. So, you know, how, how did you get like here today? You just did a great job of listing where we started, right? 12, 13 years ago, 2009, from that below zero mark. Um, Here's a few key things that got us to where we are. And we can deep dive on anything that you want. The first thing that came to mind when you said that was we immediately chose self-development. This is back to your original question almost. Like how much self-education can you pour yourself into? Well, when I left the banking world and when Lori and I were looking at each other like, all right, time to roll up our sleeves. Like, what do we want to do? How do we want to reinvent ourselves? That's when we found self-development. That's when we started going to the events. That's when we started reading books. I didn't read an adult. I didn't read a book cover to cover in my adult life until, you know, that time. And then forward. Um, That's when we turned to all of the resources that would, I call positive propaganda that would make us feel and reinforce the beliefs that we wanted to have about what we were capable of, that we wanted to have about what's possible in the world, instead of just allowing any propaganda to fall into our laps, because most propaganda out there is going to be negative. 
it's going to be negative because most people are struggling. That's just the truth of it. And so struggling people spread struggling, struggling opinions, struggling people uh, spread struggling advice. And it's very demotivating. It's, that's 80, 90% of what's going to fall in your lap if you allow it. But we started choosing what propaganda we were going to listen to, read, have in our lives on a daily basis. That was number one. Number two, we totally walked it out. And I mean, literally walked it out. There is so much power in making sure that every day you're building physical exercise and physical movement into your life, non-negotiable. That's where all your good ideas come from. That's where you get to process through things. That's where you, you get to, to work through any challenges that you have. And it's impossible to work through those things when you're constantly just buried in the work as opposed to taking that hour to go for a walk or the hour to work out or that hour to, to physically change your state. I cannot express how important that is. And then back to your question about network, that's the third thing. This is when I went from just choosing from the people who were in my life by default, right? Who, who are the people at the bank? Who are the people in my neighborhood? Those are people that were in my life by default to seeking out people that have already been where I want to go, that are already living the life I want to live, uh, that have already done what I want to do. And it takes intentionality to seek those people out. Most people don't realize it, maybe until they hear me say it right now. You are living life and being influenced by the everybody just by default. Your neighbors, the people in your church, the people in your, your, your area, the people you grew up with. And so you're only going to grow to the extent of their success, of their ideas, of, of where they are. You need to go out and create an entirely new group of individuals. And I'm not saying you have to walk away from the other ones, but you have to go and create an entirely new group of individuals that are already performing the way that you wish your life was performing. That'll change freaking everything for you. Mic drop moments. I wish I literally could like mod med moderate while you're talking and like like in a chat box like we do when we're live in our mastermind and just like put words to what you're saying. Literally like that leads me right to the next question because I'm sure everyone listening can relate to everything that you just said. Like the what got you where you are isn't going to get you to where you where you need to be or where you want to go. And I think that was one of the hardest things I had to learn was to let go of the people in my life that weren't adding to what you just said, to helping me get where I wanted to go. You know, if I created space for them, then I didn't have the extra space to lean in and ask questions and get closer to the people that I wanted to emulate and be like. Um, and so I stayed in that bubble for years and years and years um, until I finally realized that I could ask questions, that I could ask for help, that I could admit I didn't know certain things. Um, and then when you get into a room like a mastermind, um, I feel like you really, most people, I mean, I would say 99% of people that are in those rooms feel like they're the dumbest person in the room, that they have nothing to contribute. They can't believe they're there. They have that imposter syndrome comes up and it's like, no, we all have value to add. And until you're in a room that lets you expand like that, um, it, it's tough to kind of see or let that come out. So these are a couple of things that kind of go with that. What would you say are like the top three things that you see? Because I know you're having higher level conversations um, with this friends that you're having. They're just doing such massive, big things that there's there's no room for scarcity. No one's like being like, worst case scenario, let's shit on each other's dreams. They're like, bro, I don't think you're thinking big enough. Like, would you ever think of this? They're adding value to your thoughts, your dreams, your questions. So what are three things that all your successful friends you would say have in common? What a great question. Uh, number one, we all have a zero tolerance policy for being around anybody that doesn't support our dreams and where we want to go. I love not that. like, 
not like we kind of stay away from negative, not like we kind of avoid that. No, we have a zero tolerance policy. Won't go to dinner, won't hang out, won't have a second date, won't, um, nothing. A zero tolerance policy around anyone that's not adding to our mission, adding to our dreams. Uh, and this is tough. This is what holds people back the most because like, well, what if my family doesn't support me? Then you gotta make a tough choice. First, try and tell them, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. Here's what I need from you. If they don't listen, if they don't change, then there is some family that you may have to severely limit the amount of time that you are spending with. Same thing with friends. Friends, if they're not supporting where you're going, and if you haven't sat down and, and had an honest conversation, of, hey, these are my dreams, this is where I'm going. Um, this is when I, I feel like maybe you're detracting from my dreams a little bit, and I would love if you wanted to support. If they're not changing, if they're not on board, then it's time to find new friends. I am. I know it's scary. I know that sounds almost harsh, but here's the thing. You're not leaving them behind. This is the, the great misconception. You're not leaving people behind. You are having an honest conversation with them, you are inviting them along to this new, better life. They are choosing to stay behind. They are choosing to not change how they think. They are choosing to you know, keep the, the job that they hate or the neighborhood that they hate or the boyfriend that they hate or whatever it might be. You gave them notice. You invited them along. You have to unapologetically go where you're meant to go. And here's why. Here's kind of the, the, the way that I would really drive it home for you. If you stay back with those negative people, if you stay back with the people that aren't supporting where you want to go, then you think you're maybe playing small or holding back to save that relationship. You're not. You're guaranteeing the sabotage of that relationship because now you're going to be resentful. You're going to be unfulfilled. You're going to be a crabby ass bitch or asshole to be around. And that's because you didn't go where you were meant to go. So no matter what, you're screwed. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. So you might as well go where you are meant to go, always inviting other people along. And then it's up to them at that point if they want to come along. So that's, that's answer number one for the three things that you said, you know, what traits do we share with our successful friends? Um, the second thing is I would say all of us have incredible daily routines, like non-negotiables. We don't live life based on if we have time for this, if we have time for that. We build the non-negotiables in place, and then we make sure life happens around those things. It's like from the time I wake up and I wake my wife up to a mantra, I'm happier, healthier, wealthier, more fit than I was yesterday, and I make her say it back to me, and then roll over and do a quick gratitude prayer. Like Those are two things that take 90 seconds that anybody can do. No excuses. Um, third thing. When we're having our coffee in the morning, I'm making damn sure that I've got a book or a podcast in my ear, right? Positive propaganda. Fourth thing, I'm making sure that we're working out, moving, moving our body, exercising. Uh, for us, it's in the morning. Uh, for other people, you know, if you have to fit it in the afternoon, middle of the night, you just gotta make sure that you're, you're doing it and building life around it um, and so on and so on. But to, the second thing is our friends, our most successful friends, they know what's important in life. And everyone listening right now, I'm speaking to you. You know what you need to be doing. You know what's important in life. The difference between us and maybe where you're at at the moment, and I say at the moment because it's temporary, it's always a choice, is we so wholeheartedly believe that these things are important that we build everything else around it. So that's number two. The third thing to finish answering your question that I think uh, we share in common is we are very open to the concept that we don't know what we don't know. 
And we are very open to new ideas. There are, I, I watch so many people so stuck in their politics, so stuck in their way of being, so stuck in their beliefs. I wake up like a blank chalk, chalkboard every day. I'm like, what can I learn? How can my opinion change? What, what have I not discovered yet? And again, our most successful friends, they're that way as well. Of course, we have opinions on things. Of course, we have things that we won't tolerate in life. But short of that, we want to learn something new about the world. We want to learn a new way of being. We want to have new opinions shared with us because on the other side of that newness is brand new opportunity. So good. You guys, did you catch all the non-negotiables in there? Because that is one of those things that like, aside from everything else, the, the biggest excuse I hear in any coaching call or any coaching room container is, I don't have time. There's not enough time. Time is always the thing. And, you know, once I started revolving my life around those morning rituals and thinking, you know, back to the bodybuilding competitive days, like you did what you had to do no matter what, even if you had to do it in the middle of the night. But once you planned everything else around those things, everything else became easier for it. And, and Chris shares that all the time on his podcast. It's like, I don't even think about those habits anymore. They just are those morning mantras, the journal time, that movement time. I don't even think about it. I don't consider not doing it. I don't, it's one thing we talk about too, is I don't have to wait till I'm motivated to do them. I just do them and I save needy motivation for some other shit and some other decisions that have to be made. This is just a done deal um, because it's the commitment going to back to what we first started with consistency, the consistency that if I show up for myself first and foremost, every single morning, that everything else for the day is going to be easier. And, and if shit does hit the fan, I'm going to be supported because I took that time for myself. So thank you. Those are such great, like things that people have in common. And I'm sure nothing surprising to hear. I'm sure everyone's like, Oh, that makes sense. You know? And, and I really realized that when I started the mastermind and I started just sharing what I was learning, I, I, it wasn't even like I actually knew it yet. I was just sharing what I was learning. And for my best friend, I remember she ended up freaking out on me because she was like, stop telling me what to do. And you feel like, you know, everything you're, you're this little know-it-all now. And I'm like, I literally don't know shit yet. I'm literally just sharing this information with you. Um, I think it could help us, but that's when I learned the difference between her and I could read the same books. We could listen to the same podcasts. We could even try to like talk about the same things. But the difference was that I saw for me was that I was actually trying to implement them day to day. I was trying to like add them into my life somehow um, and have positive conversations around it. And then the thing that was the catalyst for us to kind of stop spending so much time together was I felt like I couldn't call her to share the wins as opposed yeah. to like, she was someone I like, we would like, you know, kind of downward spiral with each other or we would, you know, you get to share, you know, share your shit or whatever. But it also, I felt like I was always blocked. I didn't want to call and share any of the good stuff. And that's when I realized I'm like, I don't need to say goodbye to you forever, but we definitely, I need to find a new circle or a new accountability person or someone else that's going to understand where my head's at. And that is actually why you guys, I joined up with Fast Foundations. I told Chris, I don't have the criteria you're asking for, for this actual business mastermind, but I need new friends. I need new high level friends. And I'm willing to pay this really high premium to get them. Because when you are sitting next to someone else who's also invested at that level, they see you like you see them. Like, hey, you, 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 you're in here. Like you want to get the same thing out of here that I want to get out. So with that being said, we know what the successful people do. What is a few common things or traits that you see in seemingly highly ambitious entrepreneurs that never seem to make it? Like the ones we see, they start out, they're like, hell yeah, I'm doing this. I have these ideas. They may even have some money to back it. And then silence sure, or they I, disappear. I, yeah. What a great question. Number one, they try to do it all themselves. They think, you know, if I save money by doing every single piece of this myself, 
then that's the smart way to go. And the truth is, is not. The truth is give up some of your income, you know, live on less than you're used to living on, um, hire out some of those things that would take you forever to figure out and you're going to make a million mistakes. That's mistake number one is trying to, to do it all yourself in the mission of saving money. It actually costs you significant money because you're missing out on sales that would be happening. You're missing out on, on being able to scale, being able to expand. Um, I think the second big mistake that I see is inconsistency. You referenced this in the beginning of the podcast. You actually don't have to be wildly talented. You don't have to be wildly smart. You don't have to be some crazy unique individual in order to be successful. You have to do the monotonous things over and over consistently. You need to stick with your idea once it becomes a job. You need to stick with your dreams once you you hit a wall, once you 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 know hit the resistance and the hard stuff. And I see pe- too many people give up and bounce to a new idea and give up on that one and bounce to a new idea and give up on that one and bounce to a new idea. You're never, ever going to get anywhere. It's funny. I had this conversation, uh, was it last night or the night before at, at uh, dinner? And I was telling someone, I'm like, no matter what you do, this whole follow your, your dream and you'll never work a day in your life. It's a lie. It's absolute bullshit. Everything becomes a job. It's just a job doing something that you prefer to be doing instead of a job doing something that you don't want to be doing, but everything becomes a job. So it's so disempowering to feel like, oh, when I hit resistance, this must not be, you know, be meant to be, or, or when I have to do all these things that I don't like, or I'm not good at, I guess I wasn't cut out for this. No, every single thing, no matter how excited you are about it at first does become a job eventually. And once you realize that you'll stop quitting on yourself, you'll figure out how to mitigate those things. And then you'll power through to the good side. I love that. I mean, yeah, we can just leave it at that because in all honesty, like there, someone said to me one time, like, you're always doing all the things. And I'm like, yeah, I am doing the things to find out what it is I want to be doing. So Mm -hmm. there was like, and I, you and I had this conversation on the very first episode because I was pivoting from doing something for 18 years consistently and, and trying something new. That's when it was okay to try different things on for size. That's okay. When it's like, you can explore things like, Oh, maybe I want to do that. But that doesn't, that doesn't suit me. Or just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. There's also that part of it, right? Just because I'm really good at cutting hair and coloring doesn't mean I want to get into technical education. Um, my love, my love fell for the business side of it. Once I learned this skill set from you, I was like, oh, this is the shit people really need to hear. And I love digging in and talking about limiting beliefs and helping people build non-negotiables and rituals. That shit lights me up. I could talk about that all day. And that's what he means. What fell out of alignment when, was when I was trying to be like everybody else showing up as this, you know, high level technical teacher. I was like, I can do this. Yeah, sure. I can do it. I can go all in, but I don't really want to. It's not me. Yeah. And so that's, there's a difference in there because resistance will come up regardless of what path you choose fucking guaranteed. But it's like, if you really want to have a fun filled life, doing things that you love, even if they get hard, that's, I think what you're talking about as far as like choosing the things that light you up. Um, But you and Lori have such a fun filled life. We talked about adding in your morning rituals and your non-negotiables. Like how do you guys schedule in the fun? I mean, I I know you plan your work around those morning non-negotiables, the fun time with bananas, all the family time that you get, like what gets priority and how do you guys set up your calendar? How do you plan who gets to do what and when? Because you both have such busy lives. Well, we've got that protected time every single morning, right? Where nobody can get a hold of us unless you're your family or, or the closest of friends. That is our time in the morning to come together first before we go leave and do battle for the day separately. 
Then we've got our evening walk, non-negotiable. It could be raining out. It doesn't matter. We'll still go out there and do it. That's our time to come together again and become a couple again after working all day and being strangers or, or, or being separated. Those are two very small examples, but important ones because we create containers to have the fun. We create containers to be together, to enjoy each other. Uh, beyond that, you know, we love to travel, so we make sure that that's a priority. We, we book the trips and then we fit the work around it. Uh, we love, you know, we believe in living the exact life that you want to live. And so we intentionally got ourselves to a place where we can have three homes. We have a home here in Arizona that we call home base. We have a home in Newport and we have a, a lake house that we bought up in Wisconsin. So we spent a couple months up there where we're from. And um, that is building a life, doing the things that you want to be doing. Now, we don't get to be playing at those three homes all the time. We're working from them. We are are have tough days from them. We have busy days while we're there, but we make sure that we're putting in the calendar. When are we having fun? When are we not? And we live and die by our calendar. Like when something goes in there, it's it's locked solid. And I think that's where other people go wrong. They think their calendars are suggestions or they don't use one. Really living and dying by it is, is the most important thing. Ooh, that one like is, was me. I'm gonna say was me. The calendar, when it came to hair, I was a non-negotiable and that's why I was able to build and sustain a six figure business for as long as I did, because I didn't cancel clients. I didn't call in sick. I didn't no show people. I, I was always prepared for work. So that ran seamlessly, but my calendar for myself and for the other things, that was a suggestion box. And it wasn't until you taught me time management um, skills around time blocking days to do different things. Um, if you're a multi, whatever, like I am multi-passionate, multi, like try to do all the things in one day you can't do them well. And so I was trying to do a podcast in the morning and take a couple clients and then do this in the evening. And that was all for shit. That didn't work well for me. So what ended up being better is if I set up separate podcast days and separate um, coaching days, that made everything so much better. I think we lost Chris here for a second. Okay. So Let's skip ahead to some of these awesome questions that we got. This one's from Danny Hoffman of The Good in Media, Brianna's husband. He writes, I love him. I know, me too. He's just literally, uh, shout out to Danny. So I'm going to send this to him because Danny was like, I really want to come record for you guys. I'm like, oh my God, we will take you up on that maybe for the 200th episode. Um, so we're in a time where it's important for all of us to learn to ask for help. He asks, when is the right time for small business owners to stop bootstrapping it and actually ask for a loan or investor funding to take their idea to the next level? Are these indicators to know that your business is ready for that? Or are there? He says that's applicable to his new business, but yours. And also assuming that applies to a lot of my salon people as well. So this is a great is it, question. Isn't it? I know it's so juicy because I actually asked for help when I opened my salon. And mm -hmm. it wasn't that I couldn't get the funds on my own through a credit card or even ask my mom, but I wanted to borrow money from someone I wasn't emotionally connected to, um, but also that had a little skin in the game. So I took out a $15,000 loan from a woman who was my client. Um, I didn't know she was going to charge me 10%, but that's okay because it put skin. It was okay. It worked out. But in doing that, it like made me show up even bigger. But when is it okay for people to ask for help or when should they start if they want to expand their line? This is, there's no black and white answer to this, but here's how I'd answer it. I do want people to consider using other people's money to grow their business because if done correctly and responsibly, it will grow faster, period. Let me give a very basic example. If you're trying to bootstrap everything yourself, you're like, oh, how do I reach more customers? And all you can afford is, you know, keep showing up on social media. That's great. But what if 
you were able to raise or borrow $50,000 and hire a true Facebook marketing firm and spend, you know, five grand a month for the next five months or whatever on really driving in true Facebook leads to your business. How much more money could you make quicker? And then you'd be able to hire people and it becomes a positive snowballing effect there. So I think the answer is this, be open to the idea of using other people's money much quicker than you would have. That's number one. Number two, if you're going to use other people's money, whether it's a loan or investor or anything like that, make sure that you know exactly what you're going to do with it in order to create more revenue. So if you, if you just want to fancy your place or if you just want to have a cushion in the bank, that's not a good reason to use other people's money. But if you have a specific plan, I'm going to go get these leads, or I've got this way to bring in more customers, or if I hire these two people, then I can go out and source more business. If you have a specific plan, then I want you to highly consider using other people's money. You know, Lori raised a couple of million dollars from 54 female investors to launch Light Pink. Um, my partner and I, uh, his name is Matt, we're launching this fintech app, and it takes millions and millions and millions of dollars to get this thing off the ground. Now, here's what's ironic. Matt and I can fund this thing ourselves. Matt, Matt just sold a company for hundreds of millions of dollars. But when you use other people's money, two things happen. One, you show up differently with that money. Two, you actually um, enroll other people in your success. You give other people a chance to get a return on their money in a business that they want to have the time or the ability to start on their own. So it's a total win-win. People see it as a burden. It's not. In the right situation, it's a win-win. And I think there's something you also shared too about asking or having investors in your business. Um, investors are different than partners, guys. So partners are not what we're talking about. We're talking about investors or people who are just giving you money with a contract in place. They're, they're not people who are going to have maybe anything to add you know, verbally or whatever. But there are investors who know way more than you do and maybe have a link that could share. And by letting them letting them invest in your business or your company, you're getting access to their network. You're getting access to their knowledge and their know-how. That I think alone is, say you borrow 50,000, but someone gives you $100,000 worth of advice to go along with it. I mean, that shit's a game changer. And those are things, again, when you talk about hiring people that can do things better than you can do, if it can get you where you want to be quicker, you know, it's, it's worth taking the risk and worth doing that. Because again, especially in a smaller scale of like salon ownership or in, in my world, you know, borrowing $50,000 or $150,000 to build out a salon or a dream education space is, is a lot of money. And so I think people think they can only borrow money from their parents or, you know, people that they know. And in fact, there are plenty of other people. Like I had clients that were genuinely like, why didn't you ask me? I would have helped you. And, and so I think in seeing the power in that, yeah, you allow for them to be a part of your success. And the woman that helped me, it was $15,000 guys. The letter that I got when I paid her back after I ended up selling my salon for profit a year and a half after I opened it during a pandemic, the letter of her just saying, thank you for letting me be a part of your dream. That was like, I was like, well, you're welcome, but thank you. So cool that you're talking about this on the show. This is going to change a lot of lives right here. This one message. And by the way, Lori and I call them strategic investors. You nailed it, Jess. You're not just getting their money. Don't just choose somebody who gives you money. Choose somebody who has a network or advice or expertise that will invest in you. And now that they have skin in the game, now they're going to be more likely to share their network, their advice, et cetera, for free because they want to protect their investment. It's a win-win. 
oh my God, totally. And this lady was like a super high level financial advisor who had millions of dollars and still was raking it in from all of her clients. She didn't need to charge me 10%. The 10% was to hold my fucking ass accountable that I would be, you know, like it was to teach me something too. And we had to sit down and do numbers. She wanted a whole business plan. She wanted a profit and loss. She wanted all the things. So not only did I get an investor, I literally got a financial advisor slash business coach to go along with that, to help me perfect my business plan. So again, there's things we it don't made know. You learn those things. Yes. It made and, you, learn. you actually had to become a businesswoman, not just a salon owner. There's yes. a difference. So when the time came for the opportunity for me to sell, I wasn't, I wasn't ready mentally. I wanted to hold on to my salon because it was my baby, but I've learned again through you guys. If you keep your hands so full of the little things, you're never going to have space to bring in the bigger things. And so when it came time to sell that salon, which basically selling a salon is just, your, it's an asset sale. It's not, you can't sell clients. I can't sell the booth renters in there. Um, but to turn uh, even just a $30,000 profit in a year and a half in a space that I didn't even own is technically really unheard of in my industry. That's cool. That's it really was. cool. But because I'd done all the pre-work, I had all of that stuff to give to my next you know, owner. And I was able to kind of coach her through it and, and pay that backwards or slash forwards, however you want to look at it. Um, and so that felt really, really good. And it's like, now I can say I've sold, I've, you know, opened and sold something for profit and I have financial advisors on my board and, you know, all of these things that we don't give ourselves credit for that we do. We think, oh, I'm just this, or I'm just that. Like I loved my tagline. I'm just a hairdresser. I used that shit for years. And it was my own limiting box that I put myself in. And it wasn't until I got sick of my own shit that I was like, no, I'm this or I'm that. And you have other people seeing you what you really have accomplished. Um, so again, like such cool stories out of all that, right? I love that. Okay. So this other question is also a really good one because this relates to me and to where like my money mindset was a, when I started, because making a hundred thousand dollars as a hairdresser 20 years ago was like, you made it like you showed everybody, you weren't stupid. You weren't the girl who didn't know what they were doing. Right. You were killing it. Well, but 20 years later, a hundred thousand dollars in San Diego, you're like, Maybe still living in your mom's basement. Tough to get by on in San Diego. Yeah. 20 years later. No shit. So the question is, do you think a seven figure business today is the equivalent to a six figure business 10 to 15 years ago? Such a good question. Pause there. Hold on. Most solopreneurs start out dreaming of the six figure business and then quickly realize that's not what we thought it would be. How do people now set that gauge of what their goal really requires? That one I was like, ugh. Yeah. The answer is this. It depends on your margins and on your desired lifestyle. So what I mean is if somebody is making $250,000 a year as a retail store and they've got after paying employees and everybody else 10% margins, that means there's only 25 grand left over despite having a $250,000 business. But if you're a $250,000 coach and all you're spending money on is maybe a part-time assistant, a little bit of software, and you're keeping 200 grand of that. Now that's a very big difference. So it really depends on what your margins are and then what desired lifestyle you have because $250,000 a year in, let's say Green Bay, Wisconsin is going to give you a very different life than $250,000 a year in Los Angeles. So it also depends where you are. Um, I do believe this and I'll try not to get too crazy or too high level here, but the definition of what a lot of money is, is changing so quickly in our world right now, faster than ever before. People actually don't even have a concept of how quickly this is changing. That mark the tape in five, in the next five to 10 years, 
somebody calling themselves a millionaire, meaning you've got a million dollars net worth, that'll be the new middle class. That'll be the middle class. Mark the tape, mark my words. That's how quickly our definition of what a lot of money is, is changing. That's how quickly uh, what you get for your money is going to be changing in the world. And that's because we're at the precipice of this weird collision. And it's really exciting, by the way. This is a good thing. Most people, this might scare you, but it's a good thing. We're at this weird collision of Web 3.0, which is like the invention of the internet all over again, right? NFTs, blockchain technology, uh, all, all that stuff, combined with when we first started using fiat currency as countries, right? Got off the gold standard, said, we're just going to print dollar bills, have our own economic system, be able to print more if we want. And that is the, uh, you know, with uh, cryptocurrencies and a brand new worldwide monetary system being created before our very eyes, digital currency. So the collision of those two things happening at once is, has never been seen before, period. Not just in our life, but never been seen before, period. And the amount of opportunity and new wealth that's coming with that, that's being created, is the reason why we're seeing people, you know, houses go up 10, 20% a year. The reason why we're seeing the cost of a car go up 10, 20% a year, cost of everything else, and it's going to keep going. So it, in the spirit of your question, it is time to permanently reset your sights on what you want to make, how you want to provide for your family and what you're going to need in 10, 20 years from now to retire on. Such a good, good answer to that. And I know we could probably deep dive into that like tenfold because I've been watching you and I see and inside sources say, uh, cause I'm a good researcher that I know you've dropped quite a bit in the NFT world over the last couple of months, six months. And, uh, for those of you who don't know this language, I think we all know, we've all heard of crypto. We've all heard of NFTs now. Um, it's a whole nother language, but for someone who is a technical service provider, like people in the beauty industry, how important is it to have multiple streams of revenue and to educate yourself around where the money in our world is moving to? Because I feel like so many of us, like I said, hit that number or, or we stay in our bubble. We don't create time to learn other things. And I mean, on a scale of one to 10, the importance level, we're at a 10, 11, right? To learn this yeah. language. Yeah. And Chris did a podcast uh, uh, for those of us who don't know what NFTs are. I'll figure out the episode number, put it in the show notes. Do you happen to know it off the top of your head? It's one of your highest. I don't know the episode number off okay. the top of my head now, but I can define them very easily. So NFT is, is just the, the physical manifestation of what's called blockchain technology. Blockchain simply means this. Everything that we used to use paper titles and paper records for is now going to be stored and permanently locked into the blockchain. And if you could picture a giant ledger in the sky that everybody can see, so nobody can manipulate it and nobody can change it because everybody can see it at all times. That's the blockchain. And so houses won't have title anymore. There'll be title will be in the blockchain. Cars won't have title anymore. That'll be in the blockchain. The ownership certificate to your business, to your salon, that'll be in the blockchain. It won't be paper or anything anymore. With that, creates brand new technologies such as cryptocurrencies, NFTs, et cetera. And yes, we are, everyone listening right now should be spending at least an hour a day trying to learn what's coming because this is your one chance in life to get in very, very early and be able to set your, not just yourself up, but generations upon generations upon generations up for a long, long time. If I owned a salon right now, I'd start accepting Bitcoin and Ethereum for my services. Not all of them, but I would 
have a goal to accept it for at least a quarter, maybe half of my services. Because right now you want to accumulate as many coins as possible, knowing that sometime down the road, a coin that was worth $3,000 today, and you can accept fractions of them, is going to be worth $300,000 in two years, three years, five years, 10 years. So imagine collecting as many of those as you could right now. And then in five years, you collected a $3,000 coin that's worth $300,000. How many of those do you, can you possibly get in your bag? Well, you just nailed like where I was leading into the next question because um, the recommendations I was going to ask for people in the beauty industry or, or a newbie starting out, what's like the number one thing they should be doing? Spending an hour a day learning this language? Yep, okay. absolutely. Just start Googling and watching videos on it. Find ones that are interesting to you. You don't have to watch the boring stuff. Um, but here's the, here's how real it is. And here's how, like, I walked into a watch place uh, last weekend and I bought a new watch, like a super high-end jeweler. There's a sign when you walk in, it says now accepting Bitcoin. When I checked out, they didn't just leave it at the sign. The guy said, hey, would you like to use Bitcoin? Like almost wanting me to, because they know they want to accumulate as many as they can right now before it skyrockets. Um, if you go to Lamborghini Newport Beach, you can buy your cars in Bitcoin. Like Tesla was accepting Bitcoin for a long time. They're, it's here to stay despite what anyone says, it's going to go up and down. So you can't accept it and be like, oh good, this is what I'm spending right now. The goal is how many Bitcoin, how many Ethereum, how many of the, the right NFTs can I invest in and just tuck away until they skyrocket value? Okay, there is your million dollar piece of advice. If you're listening to this episode, you guys, please pass that bit of advice on to other people in our industry to give them a leg up because we always want to see what everybody else is doing before we decide to jump in. And like Chris said, this is our one opportunity for something life-changing that's never happened before. Yes, it can seem scary, but if you educate yourself and get around people who um, uh, provide this, Lisa Series, a really great person who she teaches the basics of NFTs on how to buy them and how to jump into this world. Um, she has a course that you guys could check out too. But um, yeah, I'll find the episode for you guys. So you can really just get the basic lower level of what this is. You did such a great job with that podcast episode. Um, and I know you love this shit and can talk about it all day long, but let's, okay. let's go, let's go back because you know, I met Lori first and your wife is amazing. And you two are really like a sought after couple of how you guys work together and how you've grown together and how you support each other and all of that. And I know that's a lot of couples that come into the mastermind together. That's their goal to be able to have such a thriving relationship and to support each other at that level. But there's a lot of us who don't have somebody like that at home, who's maybe not an entrepreneur who maybe doesn't get it. Uh, I wouldn't put them in the box of like that family member who doesn't support you whatsoever, but they're your person, but they just don't understand the language. That's probably a whole nother topic, but take us back to like what needed to shift for you because you came from the corporate world. Mm -hmm. What needed so, to shift for you to support your wife in the way that you kind of started to show up and do, and, and how, can, how can other people ask their person to do that for them? The, the, the very simple answer and the truth is ultimatums. Lori has given me ultimatums that have changed the course of history several times. You know, okay. one of them, when I didn't want to support her, her fitness career at the time, I remember her sitting me down, so I'd harass her about how much all the organic chicken was and how much the competition suits were and all this other stuff, because we were going through that tough financial time when at the same time she was trying to begin that career. And I remember sitting me down and saying, listen, you're giving me mixed signals. You either support me pursuing this or you don't. If you don't, I'll stop. And whatever comes of that will come of that. But if you say you support me, then you can't complain 
you, you can't have a bad attitude. You can't do any of this other bullshit ever again after this conversation. You're either in or you're out. Are we building a dream or are we not? That's one of many times that she's given ultimatums. And I wish that there was a better, more airy-fairy, positive answer out there. But your success in life is going to be in direct parallel with the number of tough, direct, timely conversations you are willing to have. Can you please say that one more time? Yes. Your success in life will be in direct parallel with the number of tough conversations that you are willing to have in a timely manner. Can't put them off. You got to have them as early as possible. That alone for me, and you know, I always get my cup filled up with these episodes too. And it's, that is what I struggle with the most. And I would say that's one of the things that held me back because if you know that that's a tough conversation you need to have, whether it's a partner, a business partner, a coworker, a hire that you have, anybody, if you put that shit off, that will take away your focus from all the other things that you need to be working on and doing. And you will get so consumed by the conversation you're not willing to put your big boy pants on and have that it will eat you alive and cause all the other shit to like fall apart. And that's why, you know, when you can learn to rip the band-aids off. And I know as women, I mean, this is a story. We're a little bit more emotional than men. I feel like men can kind of do that with each other, but women figure out a way to get your message across and set the standard. When you have people come into your life, this is the way I like to deal with things. Uh, This is the way I like to be spoken to. You're really good about sharing this too. You and Lori both had to figure out how do you need me to, to, to receive things? And when, when can I bring up these important topics, whether it's around money or business? And so if you have a partner um, or a business partner or coworkers, being able to have those vulnerable conversations talking about, Hey, it would really be great if you could just come to me at the end of the day with this shit, rather than interrupt me with a client talking to me about stuff. So that's just a good example, but that's also a great reminder of when we avoid things, we usually know what's keeping us stuck. It's the thing we're avoiding, right? Yeah. And I'd love to give a part two to the answer as well, because one ultimatums is those pivotal moments. But then number two, she went on and did what she said she was going to do. And in other words, you know, I call it leading by example. She did the work. She stepped through the painful stuff. She put in the extra, you know, blood, sweat, and tears and did what she said she was going to do. So if you're going to give someone an ultimatum, you better be ready to show up and demonstrate and lead by example and set that pace so that they say, okay, he or she is serious about this. Not only will I support this, but I'll start participating. I'll start doing the self-development. I'll start, you know, maybe dreaming. That's the best thing you can do as a, as a part two of the answer is you better be ready to lead by example. Mm, so good, right? We can't ask somebody to do for us what we wouldn't be willing to do for mm-hmm. them or show up where we said we needed support and then make the damn thing happen. I love that. Thank you, Chris. Um, again, I know we could talk for like hours on end, but I know you got things to do. You're moving back to Cali. Um, we're both in Arizona right now. And we were talking about the summers, how wonderful it is here, but uh, there's nothing like California. Um so you guys, if you love this episode, please, please, it would mean the world if you could tag Chris and I in it, share your takeaways, your ahas. If you know somebody who could val- get some value out of this podcast, please share it with them. It would mean the world if we could get this podcast out to more people, just sharing the good stuff and just helping you guys create and see what's possible for you because where you are doesn't have to be where you stay. And you know, Chris is just been the catalyst for showing me what's possible. So thank you, Chris, for everything that you've given me, guided me, the hard truths, the in-between, all the stuff. So I'm, I'm super grateful for you and um, for you going first and, and also, you know, looking back to see what 
early stage entrepreneurs needed because without this, I would have never gotten the courage or had the confidence to step into what I'm doing now. So I appreciate well, you. Jess, it's been such a pleasure over all the years because you, like Lori, do what you say you're going to do. You're setting the pace. You're forging new paths for other people to follow. It's one of the most important roles that people can play. If someone's listening to this right now, I want to remind you, like we said in the beginning of the podcast, this is Jess's 100th episode. That's leading by example. Right now, at the end of this podcast, you should hit pause and share it and tag her saying congrats on your 100th episode, Jess, because that's a massive accomplishment. Sure, she did that for herself. She did that for her brand, but she also did it for you, the listener, so that you have an example to follow, so that you have all this information at your fingertips for free, so that you can be inspired by what does consistency look like? You wake up one day sooner than you think and you got your 100th episode, or you sold your salon, or you've done this, or you've done that. So share this thing right now, tag Jess, and just say, congrats on your 100th episode. My man. Love you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. All right, right, guys, we will see you on the next episode. And again, it would mean the world if you could share it. Thank you so much, Chris. And I'm so excited to celebrate this 100th episode with you. It means more than you could know. Likewise. Okay. We'll see you guys on the next one. Take care. I'm going.